Let's look to the Lord. Father, this morning, we look to you, Father. Everything I pray, Father, that happens in our lives and in your house, let it be about your Son, Jesus. For he has to have preeminence in all things. Not in some things or most things, but as your word says, in all things. And even this morning, Father, I pray, Spirit of God, help us to give Jesus preeminence. Put away aside everything else, O Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Speak to us. Speak through me. Let there be only one voice, O Lord, the voice of the living God. And let there be an impartation of faith that we may please you, that your son's victory may be enforced in our lives and we may be declared overcomers on that day. Therefore, give give us hearing ears, a believing heart and the will to obey. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, uh, I forgot to announce, but we have pastor's conference this Saturday. I think probably Wednesday morning we have another meeting, I think, at Mehdi Patnam. So we come back to the Word of God. And I keep saying, the Word of God can do anything, everything, if you believe. That's why God has magnified his word above all his name. What the word of God primarily does or should do in our life is impart faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. We were saved by grace, but through faith. That faith is our part. Okay. Every time you read, you hear the word of God, look for something. Is faith being imparted? Am I trusting? Am I believing God more and more? As God says over and over, three times in the new covenant, we who have been justified by faith, the just shall live by faith. And he says, my just who lives by faith, if he or she draws back, my soul shall not be pleased with them. We also know this impossible to please God without faith, which means it is possible to please God only by faith. Only by faith. It's possible. Okay. And that's faith in Jesus Christ. Everything God has done from creation to redemption, everything He has done it through His Son. So God wants us to have faith in Jesus, in his son, Jesus. And this incredible promise in Romans 10 and verse 13, which says, anyone, everyone, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be, whoever calls upon the name. See, this is where your, your confidence from witnessing should come. You cannot save anybody, but God can. 
But you should not be ashamed to speak the name of Jesus. Like I keep saying, one of the things which I do is I tell people when they argue, I will tell them, don't argue. Because there will be a point in your life, all arguments fail. At that time, remember the name of Jesus, call upon him. Whether you are in the ICU or ventilator, he can hear. There is a day every argument will cease. Even at that point, there is a name that will save you. Call upon that name. Name of Jesus. But the problem is, how then can they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a? That's what I'm doing. You cannot believe in whom you have not heard. And to hear him, you need preachers. The job of the preacher is to preach Christ. Is to preach Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, you keep on putting your faith consistently in Christ. Just stand back and see what Christ can do. But let's first go to Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. We shall begin from our end and then we shall go to the beginning. It is appointed for men to die. So get your theology right. You'll only die once. In this life. There is no coming back and dying again and again. No, only once. Get your theology right. It is appointed unto mine to die once. But after this, the judgment. Now don't get scared. This is written to believers and not to unbelievers. This is talking about the judgment of believers. This is basically or for rewards. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. First time when he came, he came to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. To whom will he appear a second time? Those who e. What are you waiting for? That's why read scripture carefully. I'm eagerly waiting for lunch. It will appear, don't worry. What are you eagerly waiting for? These are all... These are all not the statements of man. These are all statements of God. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin. First time he came for sin. Second time he is coming for people who are dealt with sin. Dealt with sin. The problem is, it's appointed unto everyone to die once, but we don't know when it is. When it is. I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll quickly read, okay? Chapter 5. Because this was presumed theologians say this was the first letter written to the church, not Romans or anything. First letter was to deal with the issue of rapture because people are getting worried. Okay, so Peter addresses, sorry, Paul addresses. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the... Meaning, it will come unexpectedly. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. 
But you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should not should overtake you as a thief. He says be in the light so that this day should, should not overtake you like a thief. Then you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. And then in verse 8 he says, how do you eagerly wait or how do you prepare for that day? Verse 8 says, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and hope. So again you end up with faith, love and hope. So he says, walk in faith. That day will not catch you by surprise. I was giving that uh, Example, Luke 18 and verse 8 says this. I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? So when he suddenly appears, the only thing he looks for is, how many of them were eagerly waiting for me in faith? How many actually was prepared in faith? That's the only thing he looks for. That's what a faith is not static. It's something living. It's a lifestyle. So God is saying when he comes, the only thing he looks for is faith. As an example, I told the Nepali church that uh, last week there was a terrible accident in Greece. A train accident, over 50 people died. Two trains collided, and over 50 died. And quite a lot of those who died were young people, students. The interesting part was that they were coming from the city Thessalonica. Remember, Thessaloniki is in Greece. And they were coming from Thessalonica and when this accident took place. Now you look in that train. Imagine you are in a train, any train going anywhere. There are all kinds of passengers of every age group. From the old to the young to in between and babies. Everybody in the train. When the train is moving, everybody is excited. Nobody is thinking about death. But when the accident takes place, it does not discriminate between age or this is too old, let this die. This is too young, you survive. It doesn't say. See, if you read scriptures carefully, there's one thing Jesus never told the church. is the coming of the Lord. It's kept a secret. So from the first generation to the final generation, every generation of believers lived with this expectancy that he was going to come in their generation. It was only towards the end, Paul and Peter and John all understand that, okay, he's not going to come in our generation. So this is what we need to understand. It's what we need to understand. Listen carefully. We see the signs increasing and ours could be the last generation. If Jesus comes in our generation, your age is irrelevant. Oh, I am young, I have time to prepare. Your age is irrelevant. You just have to be prepared. That is why he said, the day of the Lord will come like the thief in the night. It doesn't matter what your age is. Each one who is prepared will be taken. And the only way you and I can be prepared, you see, you can even prepare for death. You can forecast with all the medical reports in your file, you can kind of forecast when you are going to die. The day of the Lord, no man knows. So we need to understand why faith, the Bible talks about faith is so central. Faith has two sides. 
One side of faith is what Jude talks about, contending for the faith that was once and for all. That is our deep-held doctrines of Christ. These are doctrines that never change. They are forever the same. And what has happened to the church in this 21st century is that we got rid of those deep-held doctrines and we started playing with it. And so you know what? Christianity has changed its nature and form. And it is not Christianity any longer because those deep-held doctrines which you cannot negotiate with it because it is talking about who God is. God is. And you cannot negotiate with it. So those doctrines never change and every generation has to rise up and understand and fight for those doctrines. That is one side of faith. The other side of faith is it's something that is very living. Okay? Like sight is. Like we in this world live, people in the world live by sight. We have our five senses and we operate on our five senses. God comes and says in Second Corinthians 5-7, you shall not walk by sight, but walk by faith. And we heard faith comes from hearing. Now, we are talking about not just the first part of faith, the second part of faith. And that is what is we've been trying to explain. Like if you are living by sight, the most important thing you need to live by sight in this world is money. Dabu, right? A dabba full of dabu, you will be very secure. Because you know in this material world, if you have money, it works. It actually works to a limit. In the kingdom of God, it is not money. It is faith. And you need to realize money and faith work against each other. Because God makes it very clear you cannot serve two masters. He said you can use money, but you cannot serve money. Because if you serve money, faith will not work for you. That's why God has so much to say about money. So get these things very, very clear when we are talking about faith. We are talking about not only about deep-held convictions, but will you be able to really stand for those convictions and through faith appropriate the power of God to stand. Convictions in itself is useless if you don't have the power to stand for it. And in ourselves, we do not have the power. We need to understand. We do not have the power. God makes it very clear. It is not by might. It is not by strength. It is by my spirit. So that power comes from the spirit of God. God is not asking us to do anything on our own because he knows we cannot. And Jesus makes his categorical statement, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So that's where the power comes. And to appropriate the power, to receive the power, we need what? Faith. First, we need the convictions that come by faith. And second, we need the power, that grace, that favor. Grace has so many meanings. The favor, the grace. You see, Daniel has deep convictions. And whatever has happened hasn't changed his conviction. The fact his nation is destroyed. The fact that he's been taken as a slave. The fact that he has traveled a thousand kilometers from Jerusalem to Susa. All that hasn't changed his convictions. And the fact that he is among a few who has been selected by an emperor to serve in the royal civil service. The fact that he's got into the best king's university. And then he's entering into the dining hall for the first time and he sees the food on the table. And his convictions haven't changed. 
And he has very strong convictions. And convictions don't start in your head. It starts in your heart. We will come to that later. It's not in your head. It's in your heart. As long as it's in your mind, you can still negotiate with it, with arguments. But once it gets into your heart, it is non-negotiable. So the Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart. Okay, he made a decision, but he needs grace. What God does is that God sees he has grace with the eunuch who is in charge of him. Now he has the power to stand on conviction. That's what grace does. Because you may have strong convictions, but if grace doesn't come in at that point, the power of God is not appropriated by faith, you will realize your convictions may be true, but you don't have the power to stand on it. So we need both sides of faith. One is those absolute strong convictions that comes from the word of God. Second, Lord, give me the power, the strength. Because you know what? What is the power of the enemy? The Bible says the enemy comes to steal. Then only he kills and destroys. Let me ask you this question. What does he steal? Does he steal your money? No, he steals your faith. If he steals your faith, he has stolen everything. You have stolen the capacity to stand. You have st- he has stolen the capacity to please God. He has stolen your victory over sin, your victory over Satan, your victory over the world. The three things you have to win. How do you win over sin? Whatever is not of faith is sin. Therefore, whatever is of faith is not sin. It is by faith you overcome sin. How do you overcome the world? Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And what is our victory? Our faith. Be sober, be vigilant, Peter will say. Why? Because Satan, the devil, the roaring lion is looking whom he can devour. But he says, resist him. How? Steadfast in faith. Remember, we are looking at the third part of the promise. God can turn you. God can bring life where there was no life. But how do you guard and increase in that life? If you do not learn to resist, he will come and he will steal. And the power he uses is the power of temptation. That's why it was a good prayer a child wrote. You know what? Jesus said, pray this way. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the power of the evil one. So we need to realize we need power to resist the power of the evil one. How do you get it? It's all by faith. So we have to examine our faith. This is quarterly exam. Three months are over. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Apostle Paul says, Holy Spirit through him, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Is this only one answer? Examine yourself. If you are in the faith, the answer is Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Because what faith does is it transfers the life of Christ into you. Paul would say, the most yesterday in the Q&A we heard saying, you take Paul's 13 letters plus Hebrews, you take all his letters. It's entirely central on one word. So what is that? Which words is that? Galatians, mark that in your Bible. His entire journey, life history is centered around that one verse, Galatians 2.20. Actually in KJV, not even in KJV. Okay, what is it? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, which means body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the secret of his success. Secret of his success. Okay. And this is the secret of any believer's success. I live a life. That life is not mine. I live by the faith of God. So this morning, let us examine our faith. Let us examine our faith. We looked for weeks, Joshua 1.8, right? Joshua 1.8 is the, the key to the book of Joshua. You shall, one, meditate upon my word day and night. See that it does not depart from your mouth. And third, see that you do it. These three you follow, God says, your way will be prosperous. Your way will be prosperous. Three things. One, meditate. To be very careful when you speak, you are speaking according to what I have spoken. That's what it means. Three, be careful to do what I have said. Now when we think about meditation, because we are all from East, and East is famous for its meditation, it is not talking about this. Psalm 19 and verse 14 says, Let the words of my, again the words of my mouth. See? There is no contradiction whether God speaks to Joshua, God speaks to David. There is no contradiction in the word of God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Meditation of my heart. That's why I look at eyes. Because when I look at eyes, I know their mind is here, but the heart is not here. The heart is not here. But if your heart is here, that's why God says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And the, the psalmist is not talking about the meditation of my mind. He's talking about the meditation of my heart. What or who is in your heart? That's what God is talking about. Are you thinking about your problems or are you thinking about your savior? Are you seeing a cup half full or half empty? How is your heart? That is the key. Because you can memorize the entire scripture from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 at your heart beyond something else. So it is not talking about a mental capacity. It's talking about your deep held convictions in your heart. What are you meditating upon? Because out of the heart, not the mind. You know, you can speak from your mind and it could be absolutely untouched by your heart. That is memory. By memory. Everything we learned in childhood, we can, we can quote. Because our minds were fresh, it was empty, we memorized, but you will realize it doesn't touch our daily life at all because it is not in our heart. But the word of God is not, not just committed to memory, it is committed to our heart. Because out of the heart arises everything that pertains to life. Because that's why God says, examine your faith, examine your faith. Now this is not, God is not coming and telling, examine your faith to condemn us. Because like I said, the only thing that will matter whether you die or Christ comes is faith. Therefore it has to be examined. It has to be very, very seriously examined. Okay? James 2.14 what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? 
Answer is no. What's James talking about? Not just James, the great James. Okay. What is he talking about? Now he's talking about something. If you read the subsequent verses, you will understand what he's talking about. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and you one of you say to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for their body, what does it profit? Now don't take it and run away and start a ministry. It is not talking about that. It is giving an illustration, like say Samir is hungry, and I say, God bless you, brother. How did my God bless you help his hunger? The words were very nice, but there was no corresponding answer or an action to meet his need. I believe in Jesus. God says, yeah, prove it by your works. Prove it by your works. That is what it is talking about. It is not, don't misunderstand this verse and says, okay, if I give to the poor. No, 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 no. Every religion gives to the poor and they are not saved. And you can be saved without giving to the poor also. The poor man who had nothing to give to anybody except the dogs, the crumbs, reached heaven. So it is not talking about a ministry. It is talking about something. Check the validity of your faith. Do you have an action that corresponds? It is just words coming out of your mouth, out of your head, or has it really touched your heart? Really touched your heart. That's what the Bible is talking about. Meaning, you can say the right words, but your actually your heart and your hands are untouched. No, we sing that song, no? Who can ascend to the mount of God? Those who have a not a not, not an intelligent mind. It's the heart and the hand. No? And we are not we are not discarding the mind, but the mind has to be made new according to the heart. So God says, if you believe and do, believe and do. See, you can, you can live what we call this controlled environment experiments are there, no? Convert. It happens to all of us, except many here, all of us who were born in Christian families. We grow up in a convert, controlled environment. Parents are Christians or believers. We go to church. We have prayer at home. We sing songs. We are forced to read our Bible. And after some time, we think we are Christians. And then one day, the restrictions are loosed. The restrictions are loosed. Now you are in a different place where you are no longer under any obligation to follow the rules of the house. And suddenly you realize you never believed. And that's what happened to many of you young people. The minute for the boys the restriction was removed, suddenly it was found their baptism was false, the confession was false, because they are never to be found in the church. So the faith they exposed was dead faith. Dead faith. It was not just four young men from the tribe of Judah that was brought to Babylon. There were hundreds of them brought. Only four, their faith was proved true when the testing came. The rest fell away because they had dead faith. So God allows these things to happen into our lives so that we ourselves will know whether we believe or not. And many of you have not been tested. Our children have not been tested. A day will come. 
when this will be taken off and when there is no outside influence upon you, the question is, will you stand? Then you know it is from my heart. It is from my heart. That's what James is talking about because there is a kind of faith which is dead. Which is actually dead. Which does not have the power to save you. And three times in this single chapter, over and over he repeats that same answer. That work is dead. 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 Faith without works is dead. What works is he talking about? The works that accompany salvation. Not that you are saved by your works, but the proof of your salvation. There are works. There are works. On the day of Pentecost when Peter preached, there were thousands of people over there. And they were all cut to the heart. They all asked what should we do. Peter gave them the answer. Repent. Believe in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many words, he convinced them to get away from this wicked generation. Three thousand of them received the word and they got baptized. What happened to the rest? The next word which is written is that then they started steadfastly coming for the apostles' doctrine, for fellowship, for breaking of bread, and for prayers. You see, those were actions accompanying salvation. Accompanying salvation. Going to church doesn't save you. But the saved go to church. Go to church. Going to church doesn't save you. You could hear a gospel and get saved over there, but going to church doesn't save you. But the saved, if within their power, will never miss church. Never miss church. You need to understand, these are the proofs of salvation. They will not miss the hearing of the word. They will not miss worship. Because they understand, unworthy vessel that I am, he saved me through his grace and his mercy by the Offering of his only son. And they are forever grateful. Forever grateful. So we have to examine ourselves. Is my faith dead? If so, it can be brought to life. That's what happened to the prodigal son. The prodigal son, don't assume many assumptions are there. But actually he comes and tells his father, can you give me my part of my wealth? The father gave me his wealth. Till then he said he also repeated the prayers at home and the songs at home, went with the father to the synagogue. He did all these things. But the minute he got his money and he left, he went another way. Why? Because everything that he did in his house, he had no convictions about it all. Absolutely no convictions about it at all. And what happened to him? He had to come to the dead end where he's lost everything. And that is when conviction begins. Conviction begins. Now the boy who has come back is not the boy who left the house. The boy who has come back is a boy with deep convictions about his father's house. So at every point, at some point in life, we will have to release our children so that they will come back with deep convictions or they will stand in the world with deep convictions. Because your faith has to be proved whether you can stand one-on-one with God. Have you really, really believed? So over and over in that chapter, James will say, no, faith without works is dead. The works of deep conviction. Then there is some other set of people. Because they had faith in their mind. It never reached their heart. Never reached their heart. Then others had their mind and also they had very strong emotions. 
mind and very strong emotion. So you see, your mind is there, your emotions is there, you feel so convinced that you really believe. James 2.19 You believe that there is one God, you do well. Wow, your doctrine. See, 8 billion people on earth, you are doctrinally correct and come to around 500 million or 600 million. You are one of that select group. You believe only there is one God. You are doctrinally correct. And he says, even the demons believe. Do you know demons are absolutely doctrinally correct? They are very orthodox in their theology. They know and they believe there is only one God. Not only that, they are far ahead of most people in the world. In Mark 3.11, they also believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. Most people in the world don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. One point whatever billion Muslims believe Jesus is a prophet. They won't believe Jesus is the Son of God. But the demons believe he is the Son of God. In Luke 8.31, 31, not 11, 831, 31, they besought him that he would not command them to go out, go into the deep. Who is that? The demons. They also believe in eternal judgment. There are lots of hackers out there and they keep writing me emails because they listen to our messages and they get triggered. One hacker wrote to me saying that heaven and hell is on earth. There is, hell is a myth. You need to realize the demons he worship and who activates him, he's telling that we believe in hell. A lot of people in the world don't believe in hell or eternal judgment. The demons believe. They strongly believe in it. They strongly believe. They besought. Is this NKJV or KJV? Let's have K NKJV, okay? Okay. Strongly believe. They strongly believe. And in Matthew 8, they begged him, so so strongly believed, commanded him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. That is their judgment. And then the third one, Matthew 8, 29. Suddenly they cried, what have you to do with you? Jesus, son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? What does it mean? They also know he's the one who will judge them. Do you see how correct demons are in their doctrine? Yet, their hearts are not touched. So you can have correct doctrine, absolute correct doctrine in your mind and have very strong feelings that you will fight for your doctrine, but it has never touched your heart. Your mind and your emotions are involved, not your heart. So there is a faith that is real. It's a faith that is rooted in Jesus. In what God has done in Jesus. The very powerful words in Romans 10 and verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What is everyone trying to do in the world? Everyone trying to do. They are trying to become righteous. 
They're trying. Every religion's end is to make man righteous. That is the end of every religion. Everyone is trying to be righteous or to be declared righteous. So you get upset if your righteousness is touched. And you get upset if your righteousness is not exalted. It's all got to do with righteousness. And working all your life under the law, the law declares no one righteous. So where law ends, Christ begins. Christ begins. So what happens? Suddenly you cease working for righteousness. You believe in God's work through his son for righteousness. That is what Jesus says. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he who does not believe shall be condemned. Even if he is the most righteous under the law. So both the righteous and the sinner is both brought under the same platform. The sinner who is despondent and sinking under the weight of his sins has no hope. He realizes righteousness of God through Christ is a free gift. The righteous man also realizes I can also receive it as a free gift. But the question is will you believe? Will you believe? Or rather, can you believe? Can you, can you believe? Let me tell you, it is not easy to believe. And once you believe, it is not easy to continue by faith alone because subtly the devil will come and bring you back to works. That's why Romans 1.17 says, faith unto faith. Faith unto faith. Yes, it is true that we all believed at one point of time, but the question is, are we still continuing in faith? Or did we slip onto works? Because we are called to a life of faith and faith alone. And that is the battle of faith. And we saw in Timothy, God tells through Timothy, in Timothy 1, 5, 6, 12, Fight the good fight of faith for what? To lay hold of eternal life. You have to believe. Every time you have won this fight, a little of God's life is imparted into you. What you receive in return is the very life of God. What you receive by this faith is it. And therefore, what should you do? Don't change your confession. We saw that. Don't change your confession. You have to continue in the confession. The confession of the Let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Don't change your confession because whenever you are tested and when faith is not there, all you have to do is listen to the confession. The confession changes from faith to sight. So two Sundays back, we saw a man in an incredibly terrible situation in Mark 5, verse 35. And we'll come to again to faith. While he was still speaking, who was still speaking? Jesus was still speaking to Jairus, come, actually commending that lady who had come from behind, touched him, and he says, daughter, go, your faith has healed you. Jesus always commends faith. Entire ministry, he sees faith, whether it is in a sick person or a Roman centurion in a Canaanite woman, you will never see faith being ignored. Where there is faith, faith will be immediately complimented by Jesus. Because Jairus has come here, he has begged to Jesus, my daughter is, little daughter is dying, will you come and lay hands upon her? And Jesus is on the journey when this news comes. Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Only believe. This is the whole purpose of preaching. You should really desire that every day we can begin and end by only believing. Only believing. Only. That's how Jesus lived his life before us. By only believing what the Father has said. Believing on that. Meditating on that. And acting on that. Only believe. If only we could only believe. Now it is not possible. And this is not talked about in an easy situation. This is the most difficult situation to a man who's got the report. His only child is dead. God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What did I tell you? What did I start the journey for? Only believe. Even if you're looking at death, a natural death that is coming, You know what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 1 and 2? So comfortable words he speaks. Okay, John 14, verse 1 and 2. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God and believe also in me. Your heart not be troubled. Paul will talk about, I will despair of death itself because of persecution. He says, let your heart not be troubled. How can my heart not be troubled when you hear about death and wars and pestilence because we believe in Jesus and believe in the Father? In my Father's house are many mansions. Last night in the Q&A when we were dealing with one of these questions, we said, you have to hear the testimonies of the saints that have gone before us. Their excitement towards their last days. The excitement they imparted upon their families and the believers who gathered. They were so excited. They were talking about the visions they were seeing, angelic realms. They were longing to go. They were longing to go because heaven is a real place. Death is not an end. It is the actual beginning. Like I said, what you believe will shape your thinking. It is not what you're thinking shaping your beliefs. What you believe will shape your thinking. What you believe of God will shape your thinking about life. If you don't, if you believe this, you know what? Your heart won't be troubled when death gets closer and closer because you really know, I know where I am going. I know where I am going. So at the beginning of your faith journey to the finishing of your faith journey, what is intricately connected? It is faith. Faith in Christ. So Peter will say this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice. Why? Because you have been grieved by trials. You have been grieved by trials, but I want you to rejoice. Why? The reason, because the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, is being tested. Why do we go through trials? Why do we go through these situations? Why do we face trials in our individual lives, in our homes, in our offices, all through life? What is being tested? Our faith is being tested. James will say the same thing. It's in James chapter 1 verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various. Why? Knowing that the testing of your, your faith is being tested. Your faith is being tested. 
We need to realize a faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. How do you know you have really believed and you are saved? How do you know? I know. How do you know? Has your faith been tested? When you are going through life's problems, are you still reacting the old way like sight? Or are you learning to react in a new way of faith? That's the proof of your test. The genuineness of your faith. So God will allow these things to happen and keep on happening because you know what? Every time you pass a test, you passed your quarterly, you passed your half yearly, you passed your final, then you're able to throw the textbook like that because you're confident I passed. Now you are ready for the next class. You know why? Why are you ready for the next class? Because you passed a test. Your confidence level has gone up. So God is not allowing trials and testing to come into life to fail us but to increase us in faith. But your faith has to be tested. Therefore, we see through these instances all through the Bible, we see this over and over and over and over. So we will see sometimes the same incident mentioned in different Gospels and different nuances or differences are brought over there by the Holy Spirit so that we will understand the importance of faith. The same incident, remember when Jesus went in that boat, he fell asleep and the storm came and the reaction of the disciples. Let us look at three verses and see the difference. In Luke 8 verse 25, he said to them, where is your? Where is your? What does he mean? You go to the shopping Mall with your whole basket, and then and you're standing there and looking at him. He says, "Where is your money? Where's your money? You want to buy this? Where is your money?" You faced a situation. God is asking, "Where is your faith?" In other words, why did you have to disturb me? You could have done this by yourself. Sometimes we don't get answers to our prayers because God says, I refuse to wake up. You can do it by yourself. We did that with our children. In the beginning, help with the homework. After that, you do it by yourself. Now it's not that you don't want to do You are lazy. You can do it. Do it by yourself and show me your script. No, please hold my hand. How old are you? 17 years old. Hold your hand. That's a question he's asking. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Same incident, another gospel. He said to them, why are you so fearful? How is that you have no faith? How is that you have no faith? The same incident. You had faith for this, you had faith for that, you had faith for this. But when this incident came, it is as if you have no faith at all. You are acting like a total unbeliever. How is that you have no faith? You see what Jesus is saying? You have no faith. You are acting as if you have no faith at all. Third one. He said to them, why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? Little faith is not mustard seed faith. If you have faith as little as a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain. So they don't even have that faith. O ye oh, little faith. The Bible says increase our faith. God says your faith can be increased. It can be made very strong that it can handle any storm, any trial, any testing in your life. 
in your life. Because that is when faith becomes victory. Because all the trials and the testing you're going to face is in this world. There's no trials and testing in heaven. Everything is going to be proved on earth. And the Bible says, faith is your victory. So God uses our term. Little faith. Oh, your little faith. Mark 9, 23. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Jairus heard a news. Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the master. He said, don't be afraid. Only believe. If you believe what they said is dead, you will get it back. If you are able to believe within the will of God, revealed will of God, if you will only believe, you will emerge out of that situation victorious. Because Christ cannot be defeated. But this is the problem. What is the problem? We are so used to sight. And we have to learn to walk by faith. Look at these two people in this incident. One is a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. Another is Jairus. Look at the woman first. Matthew 5, 25, 26. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Wait a second there. What happened here? She has a disease. The problem is she has money. (laughs) She has a disease and she has money. As long as she has money, she went to every physician. She went to Apollo, from Apollo to Yeshoda, Yeshoda to whatever, Virinci, all these places she went. And she became worse. Finally, her situation became worse and her money uh, ran out. And that's how people die. Because they don't hear about Jesus. And then the Bible says she heard about Jesus. So, before she can believe in Jesus, she had to come to the end of her resources. If she still had money, she would have still gone to another doctor. You to understand. This is how it works. We are so used to sight. We don't go to God in the first instance. We go to God at the last resort. God is not our first resort. God is usually for the man who believes. He says, I believe. But God is the last resort. Thank God he is such a godly God. Not like the gods of this world. Such a meek and a humble person. Even when we go to him last, he sometimes listens. Are you getting the picture? Now look at the man. 22-23. Behold who? One of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. So he has two things. He has a name, reputation in the society, and two... He has money and position. Okay? So, 
Is this, did Jesus start preaching yesterday? No, Jesus has been preaching. And the ruler of the synagogue must have said, hmm, one fellow carpenter has come from Nazareth preaching. Who is going to, why are these crowds going to listen to his false doctrine? And then his only daughter lies at the point of death. Suddenly doctrine changes. Can your money bring her back to life? No. Can your position influence life? No. So you have to, whether you are a poor woman or a rich man, until you come to your dead end, real faith will not come. Will not come. And these are the fundamental lessons God is teaching right from the beginning. Israel has to see ten mighty hands of God. They still don't really believe. So God took them a long route, brought them to the front of the Red Sea, and put the Pharaoh's army at the back, and then they said, now move. They have nowhere to go. Absolutely nowhere to turn. That Then only the sea opens. Because they have nobody left to trust but God alone. That is what it means, only believe, meaning believing only in God. And that's not easy for us, none of us. It is not easy. Because a natural man resists that, the old man. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It's a very pragmatic scripture. Enter by that narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. There are few who find it. Sammy and I were talking about pragmatism last night. Yet my brother had, my second brother had come down. So he was dropping him. So my brother was talking to him. About my mother's situation, how we have to be pragmatic. So I told Sammy, I'm the youngest. We are three brothers, and among all also, I'm still the youngest. The eldest one spends most of his life in the operation theater, so he's pessimist. Because all he sees is death and people struggling for life. The second one is a businessman, so he's very pragmatic. But the third one believes in God. If you leave to the pessimist and the pragmatic, the mother will die. But sometimes you need to be very pragmatic also with scripture. It's a very pragmatic. Very few will find it. Why did Jesus say it? So what is the stumbling block of finding life when he gave his life so that we could have life? I have come to give you life and life in abundance because that life is received only by faith. So what is the problem? What is the problem? The problem is with the way. The way is very difficult. Why is the way difficult? Because there is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. That is the problem. If Jesus said, like all the others before and after him, I will show you the way, we would have been very happy. He said, I am the way. Because... God has never done anything or will do anything apart from his son. And our redemption of the fallen man is entirely connected to the cross. And anyone who wants to receive the life of God has to come to the cross. When you come to the cross, it is the death of yourself. That is what we don't like. What is the always the 
fights in homes and everywhere. Listen to me, listen to me. You don't listen to me, listen to me, you don't listen to me. The problem with faith is it is listening to somebody else. Faith comes from? Hearing from the? The old self doesn't like listening to anybody. But faith will only come from listening to God. So we are stuck. What does the old man do? So Jesus says, see, Pastor Vijay, when you, I don't know whether you listen, worship, and what the worship leader says, and all just music and dum damaka. He used that scripture from Revelation 12:11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto. Uh, everybody thinks that is martyrdom. No, it's not martyrdom. If you love your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life for myself, you will find it. So it is not talking about martyrdom. It is talking about a life of faith. It's talking about a life of faith. What is the life of faith does? It replaces your self-life with the life of God, which you receive by faith. You don't love your old life at all. It is not anywhere, anybody, anything anymore about you. It is about Christ. And what Christ gives is good, pleasing, and finally as you keep moving, you will realize it is perfect. I could have never improved on it. But most people are not ready. People get angry with God because they are coming with their self-life. You ask and you do not receive. Why? You ask amiss. Your prayer requests are all connected with the old life. And if you don't get, you act like old Hindi movies when you watch the unsaved days right now. Amitabh Bachchan goes to the temple, he gets in anger, he rings the bell angrily and goes from there. You didn't answer my prayers. I fasted seven days and I prayed. God says, you asked amiss. No, with faith. Whose faith? Whose faith? Was it in my will? Was it in my will? So a lot of people walk around angry with God. Because they think God exists to meet their needs. Are you angry with God this morning? Think about this. Jairus' daughter never fell ill. Would he come to Jesus? How many Pharisees came to Jesus and got saved? How many rulers of synagogues came to Jesus and got saved? None. None. Look at these three scriptures. Okay, look at these three scriptures. Matthew 5.3, Luke 4.14, and James 2.5. Blessed are the Matthew, look, uh, look for, uh, for 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And James 2, 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Why is in all these places God uses the word poor? You don't want to read James 1, 9 and 10. Wanna read James 1, 9 and 10? It will put a, put a pin in your bubble. James 1, 9 and 10. You'll be shocked if you read James 1. But if you, no, not 2, brother. 1, 1. James 1, 
Yeah. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Do you know the view from heaven is completely different? Completely different. He says, you who are poor, you should be absolutely thinking yourself blessed because your condition is conducive for faith. And faith is the only thing God is looking for. But you, you are rich. You have to come to the end of your riches before you will actually trust God. That's why Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the rich man to enter heaven. It's not that he cannot enter, but he has to come to this end where his riches cannot meet his need. Then only he will believe. So God uses this term, poor, 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 poor. Blessed are the poor. The gospel is preached first to the poor. And those who are poor in this world, positionally, God says, you can be made rich in faith. How many wants to be rich? That's why yesterday in the q and I said, you know what? You should become rich only gradually. It's not good to be born in a rich family. Because your needs are automatically met. And even when you say, God is Jehovah Jireh, it doesn't make any sense to you. Doesn't make any sense to you. Doesn't make any sense to you. That's why the gospel is restricted in the lives of the rich people. Because all your need, because, so for them, Jesus means savior, meaning only to take you to heaven. Rest my money handles. That's why Jesus said it is not possible to serve mammon and God. Therefore, God will allow situations where money cannot handle. And our problem is this. By nature, by old nature, we are not naturally poor. How are we born? Shaped in sin. Uh, born in sin, shaped in? What is that iniquity? It's pride. Our natural default setting is pride. Not humility, not poverty. We are rich. We are not poor. We are rich. We are, that's our default setting. Do you remember what Jesus said about the widow in Sidon in Luke 4, 25 and 26? He said, you know what? Many widows were there in Israel in the days of Elijah. There was drought everywhere. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath. To a widow so there were many widows, but they were all proud. You can be a widow and still be proud. Poverty is just a condition that does not necessarily make you humble. But it is a better condition than the rich. So there was a widow in Zarephath in Sidon and God sent his disciple, his apostle, his prophet, Elijah who is in Cherith. Where is he? In Cherith. Arise. And go to a widow in Zarephath. I have commanded her to feed you. How many miles? 85 miles. 100 kilometers this man is walking. When the land is full of widows. Because there is only one who is genuinely poor. In the spirit. Who will listen to the voice of God. 100 kilometers this man has to walk. 
to find one who is genuinely poor, so at the end of her resources, but she will do as Elijah said. Have you come to that point where we will do what God says so that the miracle can unfold in our lives? That's why the first blessing he pronounces in his sermon is blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Let me ask you, what is left? Hell. Both heaven and earth are for the poor and the meek. There is nothing left. And the world system gets into our minds and tries to shape us in the image of the world. That's why God says, do not love the world. Do not love the world because the world has its own ideas. And all the ideas is feeding into the self and the things of this world because the things use it. But don't let it feed self. That's why people keep using. Keep using things. Changing, 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 changing when there is no need to change. Why? Because it is feeding an image. The question is, is that image from heaven or is that image from earth? Ask these questions. Because we do not know. When pride gets into a belief, we are not talking to unbelievers. The Bible never talks to unbelievers. It's always talking to believers. Can you imagine when pride gets into a believer, what happens? Look at Second Chronicles chapter 16. And verse 12. This is a king called Asa who has seen the mighty hand of God in his life. And then there is another trouble. He goes to the Syrians for help. And God sends his prophet Hanani and said, why did you go to the unbeliever for help? Why did you go to the unbeliever? What's not there? The God of Israel. He gets so offended, he puts Hanani in prison. It's not an unbeliever. It's a believer. A type of a believer. And now he falls sick. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. But the, ask this question, why didn't he seek the Lord? Pride set him. Not going to ask God. Not going to ask God. I will use all the means that I have. One person I'm not going to ask is. Because if I have to ask God, I have to ask Hanani. I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going to ask him. Read the next verse. (laughs) Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the two years. Two years he lay sick in his bed and he died. And he refused to deal with his pride. While the God of Israel is always waiting to heal. Do you know what pride can do? What pride can do? The biggest killer of faith is pride. Others only come second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. The biggest killer of faith is pride. You go home and read Second Kings chapter 1. Same thing, another king called Ahaziah. He fell from the lattice, his whatever balcony, he fell down. And he's sending his soldiers to the god of Ekron to find whether I will live or rise up. And on the way, God told Elijah, go ask him, is there no god in Israel? There's no god in Israel. It's the question God is asking. 
Now you will say, what does Asa and Ahasya have to God to do with me? The problem is, <laughs> problem is, most of our solutions, most of our solutions, by faith, God has given into our hands. But because pride sets in, we don't get our solution. Most of our problems are in our homes. Right? Let me ask you this question. First, because God addresses that gender first to the female, fairer, weaker. No, weaker we have, but the Bible says weaker, so I'll go with the word and not be politically correct. Okay? How many of you, when you have been troubled, have asked or regularly asked your husband to pray over you? Or if you're a believing child, ask your father to pray over you. You won't. Telling you from experience over years of ministry, the last person the woman asks to pray is her husband. She'll call every pastor, every prayer line on this thing and nothing happens because God says your solution is here. Humble yourself and ask him. What do you want? Same thing he tells his husband too. How many of you when you are in trouble will ask your wife, pray? Now, the problem came home and now our eyes are opened. (laughs) Because as long as it's Asa and Amazia, no problem, it doesn't touch me. But when it comes home, it touches you. Now you will say, but my husband doesn't believe. God says, that's fine. Keep your mouth shut. Doesn't he say that? Now let me ask you this thing. How many of your wives who don't have functionally believing husbands, just keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Because the Bible says even a fool is considered wise if he keeps his mouth shut. Just keep your mouth shut. By faith. you Faith comes from hearing. Hearing from the word of God. Because you have to go there. And he says, it is written. My husband doesn't believe. But I'm married to him. And he doesn't believe. He always contradicts me. What should I do? God says, shh. Shh. Without a word. When he sees your reverential behavior. He may or will be saved. Question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Children, same story. Learn early what it is to mean to be subject. Because the problem is this. It is not written in the Bible the devil opposes the proud. Is it written? No. It says that God opposes the proud. Devil welcomes the prowess. God opposes the proud. And this is how we know. If even our prayer life, our first connection with God is connected, tainted by pride, how do we receive an answer? Our word life is tainted by pride. 
I'm talking about in normal situation, should be normal situation. That's why I always indict the men. You men should be good students of the word, men of faith, as the Bible talks about. Now let me ask this question. Whenever you wives have a spiritual problem, do you ask your husbands first? Because it is written. It is written. Ask your husbands first. First indictment on the men who do not know their word. But if you are blessed to have a man who knows the word, who do you ask? Who do you ask? Why don't you ask? What stopped you from asking? Tell you secrets of the kingdom. You want to know the secrets of the kingdom? If you don't ask your believing, faith-walking husband, even if you listen to Smith Bigglesworth, Moody and Dirk Prince together, you will not understand because you are breaking God's law of faith. You will not understand. God will not subvert his own order. These are kingdom principles. You cannot subvert that order. Because why? The answer to every need, Hebrews 4.16 says very clearly, 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of? Every answer of every need is satisfied by grace. Grace is the raw power of the Holy Spirit. Any problem. If you are ill, it is grace that heals you. And if God won't heal you, it is grace that will cause you to stand in the midst of your sickness and continue ministering as you told Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. By grace, you can never be defeated. Because it is not faith, it is what faith appropriates that brings the victory. But God has made a very powerful statement over through and through in the Bible. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is the subtle trap of the enemy. How he traps us in our own lives, in our homes and steals. And you are saying, I fasted, I believed, I prayed, I called all this helpline, I listened to messages from morning to morning. God says, right there, right there. He tells the men, live with understanding with your wives, giving them honor as weaker vessels, so that your prayers may not be hindered. May not be hindered. The question is, do you want a solution? God's solution. Let me tell you, God's solution always wins. There is no failure in God's solution. Matthew 11, verse 6. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The guard your heart from offense. Because if you are offended, you won't listen if Jesus appears before you and speaks to you. Pride and offense goes together. They are twins. Where there is pride, there is offense. That's what Jesus says. They receive the word so eagerly. But then when persecution rises because of the word, they are offended. They are offended. 
When Jesus went to Nazareth and he preached, they were offended. Isn't he Mary's son? Aren't his brothers and sisters with us? They were offended because the voice sounded very familiar. And he's doing so many mighty miracles. This bache who grew among us, they were offended. And to us, his disciples, and to his disciples in John 16, read, go home and read verse 1 and 2. He tells them, in actually KJV, he tells them, I have told you all things beforehand. You will be insulted, you will be beaten, all that so that you don't get offended. The other word is word stumble, so that you don't get offended. I'm telling you in advance, when you learn to walk by faith, there will be this tremendous opposition from sight. They will do everything to you. Don't get offended. I've told you in advance. Don't get offended. Because if you get offended, that's a dead end. After that, you don't move. Asa was offended. He died in his sickbed. Well, Naman will come from Syria, get healed of leprosy and walk free. Think about these things. Serious. And Jesus tells on the last day to his disciples, you will be all offended because of me. Peter said, even if everyone is offended, I will not be offended. I was telling my wife, I heard an old, old time pastor saying, there are a lot of people like Peter, they have what is called foot in mouth disease. Foot in mouth disease. That people like Peter should be given peppermint flavored shoes. So when they put their feet, at least it tastes good. He, he, he just spontaneously, Lord, if it is you, bid me come. Jesus said, come. And then, ayo, what happened to him? He's the original Pathan in the Bible. Hum paile, maarenge, aur uske paas sochenge. Don't get offended. Now, do you understand? Why very few will reach, not, this is not about losing your salvation. It is enjoying your salvation on earth, facing your trials and your testings with power of God. Very few will get it. There is no crisis known to human being which cannot be handled by grace. If you look at Jesus, Jesus is never offended. Because if you are offended, you will not be able to hear. Your prayers will not be answered. If somebody should be offended, Jesus should be offended. There is he, naked, beaten, bleeding, hanging on the cross. When he opens his mouth, you know he is not offended at all. Father, for there, what do we see? He's standing there with one finger up. Umpire, he's saying, Father, give them the, not out, give them the benefit of doubt. They don't know what they're doing. Blessed are the poor in the spirit. There's just the kingdom of God. If we can cross that first hurdle called pride, it's a daily battle. Because when you wake up in the morning, two people wake up. You and you. You have to decide who is you. The old and the new. Two people wake up. 
the old one actually doesn't want to wake up. O ye of little faith. Little faith will not do. I'm telling you, we are living in these last days when people are not even sure about their gender or pronouns. You will not survive. If you look at the flood that is coming and happening all around us, you will not survive with little faith. So God wants us to increase our faith so that we will be able to withstand the storms that are there and are coming. Matthew 6. Bless, look at the birds of the air, verse 26 onwards. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his? If that was awesome. By worrying you can grow taller. We all would be six feet, seven feet tall, right? What? Jesus has an incredible sense of humor, right? So he comes to and hits us in the heart. You all wanted to grow tall, right? We're worrying nobody has grown tall. Look at that. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And verse 30. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of? Did we see something there? What is little faith? Little faith means lack of confidence in God in meeting your temporal needs in this context. O ye of little faith. You can trust God for eternity. You can trust God for a mansion in heaven, but you cannot trust God for daily needs. O ye of little faith. Do we trust God? How can we trust God? And what is the basis of making this little faith, strong faith? Look at verse 26. The first thing Jesus says is about value. He says, he says, look at the birds of the air. He says, are you not of more value than they? And it is your father that feeds them. He's not their father. He's their creator. Your father is taking care of all of them. Can you even count? Can anybody count how many birds are there in this world? And he takes care of every one of them every day. And he says, it's your father. And you are of so much more value. First thing you need to understand to have solid faith in God is that my God values me. My husband may not value me. My wife may not value me. My father may not value me. My mother may not value me. My teacher may not value me. Because for all the values I have to prove myself. I have to show some gifts. Then they will value me. If I am not productive, they will not value me. But my God values me even when he sees I have nothing to give. My God values me. That's how your faith goes. You grow in your faith when you understand my father values. Second verse 30. So why do you worry? Right? Why do you worry? He says you what? He says, look at 
Now forget birds. Just look at the grass. Look at the grass. I don't know whether you have actually looked at grass. Do you know how many types of grasses there? You see, you all grew up in the city. I didn't. I grew up in the mountains. So vacation time, we made on grass houses. We cut this long grass and wove them together and made our own houses. So we know how many types of grass are there. Just look at the grass. He says Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of them. But it is just thrown into the fire tomorrow. So if this is how he takes care, he not only values you, he says if he takes care even of grass that is only there for a few days, how much more will he take care of you? How do you grow in your faith? One, you know that God values me. Second, he takes care of everything. He takes care of everything. And then you go to verse 31 and 32. He says, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Why? For after all these things the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father. My father knows what I need. I was telling my brother, left there for a and I said, all my life, every maid I have got, whether it is Telugu, Marathi, Bodo, Assamese, they all have learned to cook malu. And each one is better than the other. My father knows what I need. My father knows what I need. Right? You have to bring faith into everything. Lord, you know me. This is the way I grew up. I don't like changing food habits. I like eating the same thing seven times a week. I don't want variety. I want stability. Because if anyone eats or drinks with doubt, he's condemned. Because he did not eat, why? Did you bring faith into your eating? That's why most Sunday afternoons I don't come to eat. Because it is written, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. Yet it is the other way. When I go on mission, I go to Mark 16 and verse 17. Even if you take poison, it will not harm you. I was telling the church yesterday, all these 30 years when I have been on mission, I have never fallen ill. I have eaten the unknown. Drunk water from the railway station to the train to the villages where there is no water. But standing on the promise of God that you will not fall ill, you don't fall ill. Because the Bible says if you receive with thanksgiving by prayer and by word, it is. Why don't you bring faith into every little thing? Your father knows what you need. Because what does worrying do? Worrying steals the strength out of faith. God says, don't worry. Don't worry. You have to rise up early in the morning and fight worry. Because you have to fight with proclamations and confessions. Stand steadfast in your confession till the end. My God said, I shall, he will take care of me. My God said, my God said, my God said. You need to have your scripture so that every day you fight worry before it comes. 
It's a battle. This is the battle of faith. Because if you don't worry about something today, something else will come tomorrow. So worry is constant. You have to fight it constantly. Otherwise it will eat you up. Oh, you have little faith. Why did they become little? How do you know you are of little faith? What is the symptom? You worry. You worry. You worry. And you worry. You worry. You forget God values you. You forget God cares for you. You forget God already knows what you need. Isn't that one of the final questions he asked his disciples? When I send you without script or bag, did you lack anything? They said, no. No. Children, children, you believe, you grow in your faith by believing in God's care for you. Is He values us. He cares for us. He's always good. And trusting in His power. We are not. That's why the Bible says the whole of creation reveals His glory. We are not able to see His power of provision in creation. And therefore we worry about our daily needs. 20 billion birds wake up in the morning. 100 billion animals wake up in the morning. 500 million insects wake up in the morning. Nobody is worrying. And one person is taking care of all of them. And he says, who is that person? Your father. Your father. That's how faith comes. And faith is always seen. It's always seen. It's always heard. Matthew 16, verses 5 to 8. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the living of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. And Jesus, being aware of them, said to them, O ye of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? O ye of? This is a problem with us, because we are highly educated. We are reasonable beings. And our reason stands directly in contrast to what God is saying. Faith and reason doesn't go together. It's not trying, trying to tell you to be unreasonable. But the problem is, whenever you are faced with a situation, you are reasoning it out. Joshua is standing there, looking at the walls of Jericho and wondering, okay, we crossed. Three days are over. God said, I give it to you. How do I take it? How do I? Reasoning it out. How do I take it? How do I take it? These are huge cities. There are armed men inside. The gates are closed. Nobody is going in. Nobody is coming out. How do I take it? And God says, standing there, are you for us or against us? Neither. Take up your sandals because you are standing on. First thing, take off your reason. Because what I am going to tell you will not sound with reason. Not sound with reason. Take off your sandals. This is what you have to do. Get the people around. Let the ark go in the front. With the priests, let them march around the walls once a day for six days. Let me tell you, what does it fit? Reason? 
Does it fit reason? But faith believes in God, not in reason. That's why once in a while I share a testimony. So that your faith also may build that this God of the Bible is true. I still remember once, many, many years ago, it was in Assam. I had just made the bamboo fencing. New fencing. That night the storm came. And once you have a previous experience of a storm, the first storm was when I was small. The cyclone came, the roof went, and I still remember my mother pushing us all into the Almara, and the others who couldn't fit stood with that carom board with the rain coming down. I taken. So these memories are there. Now it is blowing, but I knew the house was concrete. Now, many years later, as a believer, it is distinct. But I was more concerned about my fencing being blown. Because fences were flying in the air. So somehow I managed to open the door and look out, has my fence gone? Then I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit says, rebuke. Rebuke. So I stood there holding the door open with all my strength and said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke this wind. You will not take my fence off. You know what? The wind passed by. New had come next day and I walked around. My fence was the only fence that was standing. Now let me ask you the question. Does it fit reason? Does it fit reason? Does it fit reason? No, it doesn't fit reason. They are reasoning among themselves. This scientific knowledge goes contrary to the word of God. John chapter 6 verse 7. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. But to test them, he said, let us feed these people immediately. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. He's from ISB. Got a management degree from ISB. He's looking at the demand and he's looking at the supply. He says, looking at the demand, too much. Then comes Philip. He's from, from Andrew. He's from IAM, Indian Institute of Management. He says there is a lad with five loaves of bread and two fish. He looks at the supply. Now what Jesus says, give it to me. When is the last time you handed your problem over to Jesus? And left it in his hands. And not take it back after you finish praying. Are you worrying? Are you reasoning? Two people, very reasonable people. And everything, they make sense. There is 5,000 men, women and children beside. And one says, you know what he is saying, let us feed them. To feed them, to give a mouthful, it will need 600 denarii. Six months wages. That's a demand on us. And we don't have it. Another one comes says, all we have is a little boy, Stephen, five loaves of fish and two loaves of bread and two fish. That is the supply. Reasoning it out. Those are facts. But faith is not going with the facts. Faith is going with God has said. Yes, all the doctor's reporters are true. They are facts. The, the, the diagnostic report is there. Radiology report is there. The doctor's report is there. But at the end of the day, what did God say? Did you, did you check with God? 
Did you check with God? What did God say? Do we know we serve a living God? And until he says it is not over, it is not over. And if it is over, it's because you quit without hearing him. Let me ask you this question. The city has been burned down. All your family, everybody's family has been taken prisoner. Your 600 men are weary. They are picking up stones to stone you. What is the hope of victory? Tell me reasonably. Absolutely zero. That's when faith stands up against reason and says, in my God, I can. I can. Shall I pursue? Will I overtake? Instantly comes the reply. Pursue. You will surely overtake and you will recover all. Let me ask you, how does it fit in with reason? If you look at what you have, if you look at it with reason, your resources, your capacity, your soldiers, and on the way 200 fall off, did he give up? No, because he has already heard. Faith is all pumped up. But God has said, you shall surely recover all. Now numbers are irrelevant. With 200 or 400 or 300, you cannot lose. You will only lose if you give up. And we reason. And we reason. And we reason. We don't worry. We don't worry. We reason. What does it say in verse 6? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Simple question. How did he know what he would do? Because your father knows what you need. You see, Jesus showed us how to look. Your father already knows what you need. Did you go to the father? He looked at your pocket. He looked at your pockets. You looked at the demand. And then he looked at your pocket. Very reasonable. Demand is 5,000 plus. Supply is five loaves and two fish. That is reason. So Jesus asked them, are you reasoning among each other? Don't you still understand? By faith we understand. By faith, we understand that the seen world was framed by the unseen. We, are we able to frame our seen world by the unseen? Can we? Think. Because many of you are caught in situations where you are not able to believe. When Jesus says, only believe. Only believe. Because what you are looking for, the report says, it is dead. But the question is not what the report says. Did Jesus start the journey with you? Did Jesus start the journey? When Jairus came in the beginning, he fell at his feet, my daughter is dying, would you come and lay hands on him? Jesus said, let's go. And then the report came. It is dead. What did Jesus say? Don't be afraid. When these reports come, don't worry. 
Don't reason. Don't be afraid. Don't doubt. Be careful. Because what will, how does the enemy do? How does he steal faith? By these things. That's what the Bible says. Those who are poor in this world. Poor in this world. God makes them rich in faith because they are the atmosphere is conditioned. They have nothing to lean on. So when they say believe in God, believe in God. That's why you have to see missions when you go to poor people. It is so easy. There is no conflict in their minds. The minute you come into the cities, conflict begins because the reasoning has begun. And there is a conflict going on because they love the world. Love it. You see, the problem with people in the city to surrender to God is simply because they know God is good, but they know what they want. And they know what they want doesn't fit with that. Therefore, they will not surrender. They are playing tug of war with God. You surrender. You surrender to my will. Are you fighting God? Are you, see, Jacob wrestled with God for the right reason. Those people wrestled with God for the wrong reason. If you fight with God for the right reason, you will prevail. Because he also wants to give it. But if you fight with God for the wrong reason, Lord have mercy, I pray you never prevail. Because you will regret it all your life if you prevail. I gave them a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath because their will prevailed. Don't want that. Don't want it. It is where it is so simple to surrender knowing that he is good. He values me. He cares for me. And his will is good, pleasing, perfect. But we will not understand until our mind is renewed because the old mind is full of reason. Full of reason. It is only in hindsight because Pastor Vijay will say that. I also will say that. In hindsight, we thank God for every door he shut. Those days we banged on those doors say open in the name of Jesus. It didn't open and now we look and say Lord, thank you Lord. Hindsight. What if God had given to our desire and opened that door? In a different tragic story. But ultimately we said, Lord, let your will be done. Now we look back and we realize, Lord, your will was good. It was good. Some of you are fighting God. You call it a fight of faith. But you are using the sword of the spirit against the spirit himself. It won't work. It won't work. Hand it over to Jesus. We are going to the communion table. You remember that old, 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 old message about the communion table? There's one thing about that bread in every gospel. Every time in the epistles it is written. What is it written? He took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And then he gave it. Everybody ate and they were filled. This is the spiritual principle. Give your life to God. Let him bless it. 
Don't take it back. That's all I wanted. Don't break me. Don't break me. God says, if I don't break you, your life won't satisfy you or anybody. Ultimately, you will be like Solomon. Ultimately, you will be like Solomon. All you can look back at life and say, empty, empty, empty. You know why? Solomon was never broken. He was, ne- he was only blessed. He was never broken. He was never broken. David was blessed and he was broken. And he became a blessing. Solomon was never broken. So as you come to the communion table this, this morning, it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. When you take that peace, you say, Lord, let this be my life that is broken by your hands. Then I know, Lord, I'll be a blessing. And I will have a name in eternity. Otherwise, we will be forgotten in eternity. Come. Let the elders come. Let the worship team come. No? Take it seriously. This is where trust comes. This is where faith comes. This is where trust comes. This is where faith comes. You have to be able to. It doesn't matter what your age is. Your age is. Should be able to trust God. It took 80 years for Moses to surrender. Can you believe it? There's nobody sitting here who is 80 years old. 80 years old. Then he surrendered. Then he became a blessing. There is a song when we reach heaven, we will sing. Which is called the song of Moses. Do you know why? At 80 he finally surrendered. And God took him and broke him. Used. Come. You need one more? Dr. David, come, come, come. Yes. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I cannot trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground
Father, this morning we have come to the table instituted by your son. It brings healing. It brings strength. It brings an awakening. So I pray everyone who partakes of it will partake it by faith. Let faith arise of Father in everything that do we do. I pray, Father, we will learn to apply faith that the very power of God may come into us even now. Bless your people. As we partake of the emblems of the body of your Son and the blood he shed on the cross, I pray there will be a divine partake of his life, the life that overcomes. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please hold the emblems in your hand. We shall partake of it together. The final words before we conclude. Mark 5. Verse 35. Onwards. 35. Mark 5. 35. Onwards. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? See, their intentions were good. Don't trouble the teacher. But in English we say, hell is paved, the way to hell is paved with good intentions. When you are on a journey of faith, there will be very good people who will come to you with good intentions, will tell you, don't trouble the master. Don't trouble the master. There's no point. Your situation is beyond redemption. It's dead. It is dead. Lord, people with good intentions will come and give you advice. The question you need to ask is, is it of God? Is it of God? Is this of God. Is this what is written? Does it agree with the promises of God? Does it agree with what the Spirit of God is saying? Does it agree with the person of Jesus Christ? Intentions may be good. But the question is, what did Jesus say? The Bible says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid. That's the first thing you need to realize. When you hear somebody's word, what comes in first? Then you will know whether it is faith or whether it is fear. So said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And verse 37 says, he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James and John. Strange, right? Do you know how the narrative begins? There was a huge crowd. There was a huge crowd. And I believe all the apostles and the disciples. There's a huge crowd. But now he says, that's far. The rest of you can go back. Only you three come with me. Should not allow worry, 
doubt, unbelief, reasoning, fear, offense to accompany you. Because you will miss your miracle. You will miss what God has for you. Don't let them accompany you. That's where you part company. It does not mean you abandon them. It means you silence their voices. Silence those voices that bring doubt and that bring fear. That bring reasoning. Because God has spoken something. The voice of reason will come. It's very reason. Why trouble him? Is it reasonable? Why trouble him? Because your daughter is dead. The voice of reason. Jesus said, only believe. Only believe. It's only when you start this journey of faith you will realize there is very little room for reason. You look through the word. You look at one thing God has asked any man to do which fits in with reason. Noah is asked to build a boat. Nobody has ever seen rain. When the ocean or the sea is. We don't know even whether there is a sea. How far the sea is. Because the Bible says the world was divided after the flood. So how many thousand miles away is the sea? This man has not seen a flood, a rain or a ship. That's what he is asked to build. Does it fit in with reason? Abraham went without knowing where he was going. Does it fit in with reason? If his father asked him, his wife asked him, who told you? God told him. Which God? What does he say? The God of the Hebrews? You are the first Hebrew man. What does the word Hebrew mean? The one who crossed the river. You are the first Hebrew. He does not even have to say, can say my father's God. He says, God told me. Everyone is moving to Egypt because there is wilderness and drought and everything is dry. And God tells Isaac, stay. Doesn't fit it with reason. Caravan after caravan with their flocks all going to green Egypt. You are the only one who is asked to stay. Then you are asked to plant. Doesn't fit it reason. You go through the word of God. Man who grew up in Egypt. Man who led the armies of Egypt. Man who knows the power of the Egyptian army. Take this stick and bring my people out. Does it fit with the reason? Don't let your education fight your faith. Don't let your knowledge fight God. Because you will fail. Because Jesus said one thing. If you find your life, you have actually lost it. You have actually lost it. But he says, if you lose your life for my sake, you have actually found it. That's only by faith. Only by faith. So this morning we will stand up.
will stand up. Because all kinds of people will be there. When he goes up the home, there is a whole set of mourning and grieving people. And when he said the child is asleep, what do they do? They scoffed at him. They scorned at him. Do you know what God says through Peter? In the last days, what is the first set of people who will come? Scoffers will come. He put them also outside. You need to know what are the voices you need to put outside. Fear, worry, doubt, reasoning, mocking, scoffing, everything that is contrary to the voice of God and the word of God, learn to shut it up every day. Then you will realize the power of God's grace. And you will realize His grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. More than enough. More than enough. Faith works. Faith works. In English, you say, he who laughs last laughs long. Noah laughed last. First for 120 years, everybody laughed at him. Then he laughed long. God sits in the heaven and laughs. Those who are walking by faith stand in earth and laugh with him. Learn to laugh with him. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we come to you. We come to you, Lord. I pray, Father, there was an impartation of faith. Everyone is going through a storm. Either they are coming out of a storm, getting into a storm, or in the middle of a storm. But the word of the Lord is still the same. Do not be afraid. There is your faith. O ye of little faith. This morning you have spoken to us that every storm can be handled by faith. Every test and trial that has been ordained in our lives can be handled and we can come through it victorious by faith. If the seas don't still, he says by faith you can walk over it. Pray, Father, today. We will wake up each morning. We will wake up in faith. Walk through the day in faith. And enter into our rest in faith. It will be faith unto faith. Strength unto strength. Glory unto glory. That's the only ordained life for your children. I pray even the little ones who have heard today will believe. Will believe. Because you told that father whose son had been possessed by an epileptic spirit from a young age. If you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If only we believe. Father, I pray that there be an impartation of faith today. That people receive, Father. For faith is of God. Faith is of the word. And faith is of the spirit. Let there be an impartation, O Lord. That they will not go back the way they came. And those who are online listening will not rise up the way they came. They will go up with their faith strengthened and increased. Because you call it the most holy faith. That this week, this month... They will learn how to handle the storms. 
they will come back with a testimony. Yes, it works. Faith works. Faith works. It works. Teach us to handle sickness by faith. Troubles at home by faith. Issues at office by faith. Everything that we do by faith. And see the power of God released and God receive the glory. Touch Lord, touch. Even our little ones. Let there be an impartation of faith. Thank you, thank you Father. Thank you Lord. You said in your word. You are blessed when you come in. You are blessed when you go out. We believe. We are blessed because we came. Now we also believe we will be blessed as we go. We stand on your word. Everyone. Every home. Every household. Reach out. Meet them at their point of need. Let each one know Christ is sufficient. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Once again, Father, we thank you for your goodness, your love, and your mercy. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen. Amen.